Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. In the name of Jesus. Before we begin today, I must make confession to you. Last Sunday in my sermon, I got a little riled up, and I dropped three words which in and of themselves are not sinful or wrong, and those words were gosh and darn. Words themselves, not sinful, their meaning, however, quite sinful. I think you know what they mean, gosh, a substitute word for God, darn, a substitute word for for damn. I should not have spoken those words in that way, regardless of the situation, and I beg of your forgiveness. Your pastor, like you, not perfect, sinful, a sinner before God. And for that sin, and for every other sin that I do, what did Jesus say in the text today? What do I deserve? What do you deserve because of your sin? Hell. Eternal damnation. Today we will talk about the righteousness of Christ over and against your righteousness or my righteousness. And right off the bat, in our text for today, Jesus says this, you must be more righteous than the most righteous people in the world. You have to be good. You may not be content to just follow the outward demands of the law. Jesus, your Savior, says that you must do better. You must also obey the spirit of the law. What this means is pretty simple. And he explains it in our text for today. It is not enough to just refrain from murder or doing physical harm to your neighbor. You must not rest until you have genuinely loved your neighbor in your heart of hearts. Jesus says you may not even think evil of him or insult him. Now, I would imagine this past week, as you all have been looking at your smart screens, or perhaps you still get something where they actually print words on paper, they're called a newspaper, and you have read and watched and you've heard what certain celebrities have said or politicians or leaders and you have thought to yourself, thank God I'm not like them. Or they are all screwed up. Or they deserve to go to... Sin. Sin of how we think of other people, whether or not we actually do anything about our thoughts, even thinking evil of someone else or wishing something to befall them, is sin. And Jesus says, if that's where you're at and you haven't repented of that, don't even come offer your gifts at the altar. Don't use the same lips that you've used to speak ill of someone else or to say bad words and then come and praise my name in church. Jesus says don't do it. Jesus points out the fact 
that we need help pretty badly. Every single one of us. You see, the scribes and the Pharisees in our text for today represent religious people who obey the law outwardly. But Jesus says that's not good enough. They obey the law without love. Jesus calls us now as Christians to a different path, to obey the law in love. And then Jesus says quite clearly, your love may not fail, or it isn't really love at all. Do you remember that verse that a lot of people pick for their weddings? The one that goes a little something like this, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And I've got a couple of seasoned pastors sitting over here. Thus far in my short time, the one verse that has been requested more often than any others is that one I just requested. And when a couple comes before me and says, hey, we want that, that faith, hope, and love one. And I say, why? Why do you want that text at your wedding? And they look at me completely innocently and says, because we're in love, Pastor. It's all about love. I said, that's not a bad answer. It's all about love. After all, you're getting ready to make a sacred and holy vow, a contract before God and your family and friends that you're going to love each other until death parts you. That's a big thing. Love is pretty important. But would you be surprised if I told you that that text wasn't just about your love for each other? That it perhaps was something greater about the Father's love for you through Jesus Christ, your Son, and how that love that He has given you is now to not only be expressed and shared between you as a married couple, but imagine this, to love your neighbor as yourself. Someone you despise, someone you don't like, someone you disagree with, that Jesus says that same love that God the Father has shown you through Christ it's supposed to be the love you have for your neighbor. And at that point, the sinner in us balks. At that point, the sinner in us says, now wait a minute. My love is only to be shared with those whom I choose to share it with. Those whom I agree with. Surely, Jesus doesn't mean I'm supposed to love every one of my neighbors. Hear Jesus' words again. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So have you insulted your neighbor lately? Have you cursed your neighbor have you broken any one of the Holy Ten Commands that were read earlier? Have you used the same lips attached to your face to both praise God and curse others? If so, Jesus takes issue with this. Jesus says, don't give your offering if you've wronged your neighbor and aren't sorry about it. Jesus says, if you have sinned in any way, shape, or form, that sin needs to be dealt with, not swept under the rug. Not, oh, I'll take care of that later. Jesus says, deal with it now. 
He says that your offerings of love won't be accepted unless you first love your neighbor. You see, we sinners lay claim to great devotion to God, especially sometime us confessional Orthodox Lutheran Christians. Boy, we've got it figured out so much better than all the other Lutherans and all the other Christians and all the other denominations. And if you talk to any other pastor of any other denomination, he'd probably tell you the same thing about his. But to put ourselves on a pedestal, to put yourself on a pedestal, to speak to how well you live is to really make your own religion. And the word today is really spirituality. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. Where do you go to church? Oh, I I go here and I go here. But but I believe in God. And isn't that nice that we all believe in God together and, and we all pray to the same God? And Scripture says, no, that's not good. First of all, Christianity is exclusive. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, His Son. So any so-called religion or spirituality that rejects Jesus as the Son of God in the flesh, as a member of the one true God, is, is no religion at all. Which is why in our colic for today, did you catch it? We prayed for, <laughs> boy, it probably sounded like a pompous prayer to others. We prayed for true religion. True religion is this, what God has said, revealed, mandated, and done through Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. But back to Jesus, because that's the conundrum we're faced with today. You must have a righteousness greater than all others. Oh my goodness, your pastor sinned. Maybe he shouldn't be our pastor anymore. Or I have sinned. Maybe I shouldn't come and receive the Lord's Supper anymore. Or pastor said, if I sinned, I don't have to bring my offering to church. Oh my, what am I to do? First and foremost is that no possessions, no earthly goods are more important than this righteousness that Jesus speaks of. And your first response is, but I can't do that. Your second response might be, God is completely unfair. How can a loving God expect me to do something I can't do? Seriously? Yes, seriously. You see, the fact that we are sinners is is not God's fault. After all, He created us righteous and perfect, free from sin. Secondly, we need thus a righteousness that does not come from ourselves first and foremost. The only way a sinner can truly become righteous is if God reckons or credits to the sinner the righteousness of another. So whose righteousness do you want? Whose righteousness do you want credited to you? You might have someone you look up to. Could be a parent. Could be a teacher. Could be a politician. Could be any number of people. But will their righteousness stack up to this? A righteousness that will earn and give the very kingdom of heaven? There's only one righteousness that can do that. That's why God, your heavenly Father, so loved you. Loved the whole world. Loved all the neighbors. That he sent his only begotten son. 
into your flesh and mine. Sent him to walk our dirty, sin-filled, rioting, blaspheming streets. Sent him to, to live here with all socioeconomic statuses of people. Sent him to be with all those that were sick and frail, the widowed and the orphaned. And so Jesus came. Jesus came into the life that you live to deal with all the things you've dealt with, with hunger and thirst, with death of his friends, his family. Jesus who came into his very body with the righteousness of God and otherworldly righteousness that this world cannot manufacture or earn on its own. And he comes now so that you may have his righteousness. He comes to squeeze out of his body there on that cursed tree his holy and precious blood. His blood which redeems you, buys you back. And not just blood, but as the Apostle John testifies, when Jesus' side is is pierced, also water. Thus, little Theodore, how awesome is this? Covered with water and the Word of God this day. Covered with, with not his righteousness, not mom and dad's righteousness, not grandma and grandpa or great-grandma's righteousness or anybody others, but the righteousness of Christ. And this the Lord will preserve and protect him, however long he lives, into life everlasting. Thus that righteousness which the Holy Spirit has wrought in the waters of holy baptism is a true confession of the faith. Some of you, if you witnessed the baptism today, if you were listening, you were like, is he asking little Theodore questions? Did he just ask little Theodore if he believes in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? But wait, I didn't hear Theodore's answer. Kind of sounded like he was filling his pants instead. How can he believe? How can he speak these things? Do you know the answer? Well, the answer first and foremost is that there is only one true faith and confession, and the Holy Spirit brings that. And it's the confession of faith that you as parents and sponsors confess this morning. That is the faith. It's so objective, meaning that it's all about God's work, which is where we end up with this talk of of righteousness, of what Jesus says, of righteousness that is required, and ultimately It's the righteousness of Christ, which is freely given to us poor sinners. God the Father imputes the righteousness of Christ to you. But Jesus also says it doesn't mean the law disappears. You see, the old Adam in us must be drowned and die when we sin. All of us as sinners. Which is a beautiful thing that we can return to our baptism each and every day. It's also a question of why wouldn't you want baptism for your children if it truly bestows and gives all that Christ says it does. You would want that and you would even die for that because it's so important. In baptism, the old man dies because sinners cannot be reformed. They must 
be crucified with Christ and rise to new life. Thus, you and I are two things at the same time, old man and a new man. And the old man can't be trained or reformed. He's got to just be put to death, which means that sin's got to be confessed, which means as we teach our kids, admit your sin, admit where you've fallen. doesn't matter your position or status in life. I'm sorry. Such simple words. But the words that follow after that, that follow from the Father in heaven, that need to also flow from our lips, do you know what those words are? I'm sorry should always be followed by, I forgive you. I forgive you. But you must believe it's not your forgiveness that's doing any work there. It's not your okie-dokiness with with someone who has sinned against you. It's not your ability to forget what's happened or what's been done. Oh, no. Because for a a Christian, all forgiveness fixes its eyes, its faith on Christ. Christ, through whom we are forgiven. His righteousness credited to us. Thanks be to God for that gracious absolution in our baptism. May God be with us as we attempt to truly love our neighbor. That the new Adam in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that new Adam which truly loves God's law and delights in it, that we would be encouraged and taught, that we would put that old Adam to death, drown that old Adam in us daily, and that through that precious absolution, that gift of Christ himself who comes here today in just a few minutes, to serve you, to feed you with his body and blood. God bless us as we love our neighbor. In the name of Jesus.